Hello and welcome to an honor new episode of What's Good with Kente. This is episode number seven. I'm here all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I'm so happy to be here with you fine people tonight. And we have on our show a comedian, the one and only Enoje, and some people call her Bish Funny. How are you doing? I'm good. It's N-O-J. And N-O-J. Oh, that's funny. I always hear N-O-J. Okay, N-O-J. N-O-J. Okay. Um, yeah. When I first heard the name Bish Funny, and you're uh, when I first heard Bish Funny, I thought you were saying like Bitch Funny. You know, <laughs> I thought that's what it was, and then I didn't know. Uh, tell people what Bish stands for. Uh, well, Bish Funny is uh, is short for But Is She Funny, which is the name of a comedy project that I started. But you know, But Is She Funny is kind of long, you know. So in looking for ways to shorten it up. You know, we were like BIS funny and yeah, I, Bish funny is just a lot more impactful and easy to remember. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to make it short and sweet, but it really stuck. Right. But do you get people that think that it's what I thought it was? Have you ever heard that before? Uh, yeah, but I think people try to be a little uh, discreet about it. Like they'll stop me when they see me out. Like I have a Bish funny shirt um, and they say, what does that mean? You know, or... um or for example, my daughter, I have a, a young teenage daughter who I've given one of the shirts that says, um, you know, I think it, it says nobody beats the bish, you know, like Bismarcky. Mm-hmm. And so she that shirt at home, but she can't wear it out because, you know, for obvious reasons, like that may not be what we mean, but if that's what people think it means, then. So in the last month, I've had to come up with a logo just so that I could field the questions a little bit better. Oh, okay, that's good. Well, I, I, I thought that for a while, and then I, when I saw, oh, that's what it is. Okay, that is a big difference. I'm like, oh, she bold with it. <laughs> so that's good, though. It's good. I wanted to clarify that up front, so uh, you know we can go into this interview. So, of course, I'd like to start off, especially when this is the first time that I've interviewed somebody with people's origin stories. So, where are you from originally? Okay, well, I, originally I'm from Toronto, Canada, and by originally meaning that I'm simply born here, you know, but I do believe in that saying that says, you know, if a cat's born, if kittens are born in the oven, it doesn't make them bread, right? <laughs> so my, my parents are from St. Vincent. I grew up there a great deal myself, so I guess you could say I'm Canadian by way of Caribbean, which is, which is St. Vincent is in the Caribbean, by way of Africa, so I'm a strong Pan-Africanist too. That's the long answer. Short answer, Toronto, Canada. Now, um, for those of us who are unfamiliar with St. Vincent, to give us a kind of a, a feel for where it's at and, you know, what it's like to for your, your people to be from there, you know. and well, so yeah. I'd say the majority of people are probably unfamiliar with St. Vincent. And to be honest, we like it that way, you know it that way uh the closest island to us that people would have heard of is barbados a lot of people go to barbados it has a very big tourism industry saint vincent is smaller it's um it's more intimate it's less spoiled it's it's really a beautiful place growing up there was really really wonderful as a child um we call it home even though we spend most of our time here in toronto canada but um you know, there was just a sense of when school is over in June, we would pack up and we would go straight home. Uh, we'd leave in the middle of the night of whatever day was the last day of school, and we would just spend the entire summer there in St. Vincent until it was time to come back to Toronto and go back to school. So I mostly saw Toronto as a place where we go to school and St. Vincent as a place where we lived, where our family was, where... Um, I guess when you ask about growing up there, I would say, you know, just imagine as a child every day, you just get up in the morning and you walk to the beach, you know, that's not a big deal. You just go and you have your morning sea bath, you come back home, you get yourself together for the rest of your day. It's healthy. We walk pretty much everywhere. Like you don't have to take a car unless you plan to go far, unless you want to look good. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot has changed since, um, since I was a child there, like there's been a lot of what they call development, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, you knew basically everybody in your, com- in your community. We didn't have things like, you know, McDonald's, no multinational chains and things like that. You know, it was just a, 
a small place of some of the best food you've ever eaten, some of the best people you've ever met, and some of the best air you've ever breathed. Like, it's really a beautiful place. Mm. Would you suggest somebody like myself from the States uh, going to St. Vincent's for a uh, vacation? Maybe not right now during, uh, you know, COVID, but, you know, in the future. I have mixed feelings about it, you know, very mixed feelings, because I imagine that um, I guess if I was in the government of St. Vincent, then I would probably say like, yes, you know, we want those, uh, we want tourists, you know, we want people to come and to appreciate what what we really have. But I think if I've learned anything from watching what happens with larger islands, you need a good ba- a good balance, you know, like we're not trying to be too much like, you know, like let's say a, a big island like Jamaica, where there's a lot of tourism, but there's also a lot of multinational pressure. There's a lot of, you know, taking of resources and taking of culture and there's a lot of impact, you know. So I think if somebody wants to go someplace where they can enjoy themselves but be conscious of not making too much negative impact, then I would say yes, it's a good place to go because it's beautiful and largely unspoiled. But if the goal is to go there and do any spoiling, then you probably might want to go someplace else. Go to Jamaica. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to spoil, go to Jamaica. I'm not saying my husband's Jamaican. Don't get me in any trouble. (laughs) I won't do that. That's funny. All right. So, um, uh, were you one of those, um, people who always kind of know, knew what you wanted to do at a young age? Did you, were you like a funny girl? Um, well, that's kind of a, who left their phone here? Oh my gosh. Sorry. Mm-hmm. In, you know, in a house with, we've got eight people in the house here. So there's always going to be a phone ringing or a child walking in here asking for something or whatever. I don't even know how to shut this phone off. I'm going to stick it in this underwear drawer. <laughs> yeah. So that's like two different questions there. So yes, I was somebody who always knew what I wanted to do mm-hmm. as a child. But the thing that I wanted to do was not comedy. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't anywhere on my, on my radar. Uh, growing up, I wanted to be a writer, mm-hmm. uh, and that's not counting the years that I wanted to be a missionary while we're talking about spoiling. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to be a, a writer. I wanted to write a book. I wanted to, you know, be the Black Judy Bloom or something like that. That's really what, uh, what anything that had to do with reading or writing. And so professionally, most of my life, that's what I've done. I've, uh, I've published magazines. I work in a as a plain language specialist, I help people with their writing. I work as an editor, like all of that great nerdy stuff. So, um, comedy was not anything that was on the radar, but I guess kind of like a, a midlife crisis. I just kind of turned towards it in my in my later years. Okay, but um, what, did you have a great sense of humor? Did you make your friends laugh when you were coming up? I think when I was coming up. To be, to be honest, it was never my intention to make people laugh, mm-hmm. um, but yet people always seem to be laughing. I, I think I still have a bit of a mental block against it now where people are laughing. I don't understand why they're laughing. When I was a kid, I didn't like it because I thought people were being mean. You know, I thought they were teasing. I didn't see that they were enjoying, but you know, I would just say something and then people would laugh and I'm like, I don't understand. Like maybe they don't like me. Why are they laughing at me? Um, But as I got older, you have a little bit more nuance. You can see, okay, I don't know how I'm doing it. I'm making these people laugh. If they're happy, then I'm happy, you know? So I would say that I'm somebody that people would always say is very funny, even though most of it was not at any time deliberate. Would you consider yourself a a shy young lady or did you have outgoing personality? Yeah. No, I'm not shy. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about I don't even understand people who are shy. I I think if I would say if I could describe myself in that regard, I would say that I grew up with a not wanting to offend people, Mm -hmm. right? Which I do tend to do, you know, like one of those children that you always have to like slap them in the back of the head because they say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So kick them under the table because they always say the wrong thing. I always say the wrong thing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have an older sister that can attest to a very hard life of trying to keep my mouth under control because I'm just going to say what I what I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably a, another reason why 
uh, comedy has turned into a good place for me because, you know, when you're on stage and you have the microphone, there's nobody that can kick you under the table and tell you you say the wrong thing. You say what you want to say. Say what you want to say. That's right. You say what you want to say. Like, that's that's one of the reasons why I do it. My sister comes to my shows and I almost want to look at her like, oh, you you want to tell me? You can't tell me what to do. You know, I'm grown. I can say what I want up here on this stage with this mic. And then I come off stage and she hit me in the head. <laughs> well, as long as it's off the stage. So it's off okay. Stage. Oh, that's cool. So, um, you know, you always hear women say they they want a guy with a, um, a sense of humor, right? Do you mm-hmm. find, uh, I know you're married now, but you weren't always married. You weren't born married. Uh, <laughs> so uh, do, you, do you find that true about uh, women that, uh, I mean, uh, that men like women with a good sense of humor? My God, when you say that I'm not, I haven't always been married, it feels like I've always been married. <laughs> And I just celebrated our 20 year anniversary. Oh, wow. wow. Years. Like, I can barely remember what it is. I'm like, you know, people want to ask me about dating. I'm like, what do I know? Like, when I was dating and, you know, I was out there in the world, we didn't even have voicemail. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I remember those I days. Remember the busy signal days. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have anything. I know. <laughs> yeah. I was dating in the Stone Ages. So it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, I don't. I don't think when I was young that guys were significantly looking for a woman with a sense of humor. I think the funny the funny girl was always going to be the friend, right? So right. I was kind of around with guys and, you know, we'd just be like joking and, you know, playing dominoes and going to the club and hanging out. Like I have a lot of guy friends, but I wouldn't say um, that girls like that, guys always want to date them. Guys don't like to be laughed at. And I think at that age, I think men are a little bit more or a little less secure in themselves. So I don't think that they really felt good about a a, good, a girl that would laugh at them. That being said, if you had a good body and a great booty, I think they <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> That's fine. And I did. So there you go. There you go. And uh, fellas in the chat room, put out one in the chat room if you like women with a good sense of humor. So we'll see what they say. Uh, we got Luke says one. Uh, so there's some more guys here. We, we'll see what they say. Um, you lie, you lie. <laughs> so no, it's a uh, it's really interesting though. Like most of the girls I remember coming up with, uh, they always the ones that were really kind of funny. Yeah, they they did seem seem to be like your home girl. You know, never yeah, like the girl home. that you really was trying to get with. So that's real interesting. Um, were there were there comedians coming up that you you appreciated that you know uh, that you could say um, you wanted to be like or you know you liked their material quite a bit? Oh, I mean, of course. I I mean, not that I wanted to be like because, like I said, I wasn't ever thinking mm-hmm. I could do that. But I mean, I'm coming of age in the in the deaf comedy jam era, you know. So we saw all of it. We loved all of it. and. What I find is different about the about the Def Jam era as compared to say earlier, you might say, okay, I like Richard Pryor, okay, I like Eddie Murphy, I like Red Fox, I like, you know, those kinds of, of stand-up comedians. But I feel like Def Jam gave us exposure to a breath, like a wide breadth of comedians. And um, here in Canada, when uh, in the 90s, we didn't have um, Def Comedy Jam on TV. Because, you know, that was American stations, you know, American stations, you had to have like a satellite dish and who was going to pay that kind of money, right? Mm-hmm, so yeah. when we saw Def Jam, typically what would happen is we'd have a friend who'd go to the States, he'd go to Brooklyn, and then he'd just come back with like a stack of Def Jam tapes that he brought on Flatbush Avenue or someplace. And we'd get all together, like you'd cram like 20, 30 university students in a house just so that we could watch a whole night of just complete Def Jam tapes, you know, so in our vernacular with my friends growing up, growing up at that time, you could say any of the the great one-liners to them at any time, you know, even before these people were stars, we were out there like, I ain't scared of y'all, you know, like um, with Bernie Mac, Mac, yeah. Quack, quack, you know, like those kinds of things we we say. So I would say the comedians of, uh, of Def Jam in general, and especially the women, some more Yvette Wilson, um, those are the kinds of people that I that I really admired growing up. It's it's different in a sense too because they're they're American and most of the black people that you would experience here in those times are of a Caribbean descent, you know. So we have 
Um, we have our own Caribbean types of comedians that we that we know about, you know, in our culture, you know, like storytelling, cultural comedians, we laugh at the long stories, you know, Paul Keynes Douglas, Oliver Samuels, you know, um, Miss Lou. These are the kinds of things we, we grew up listening to, but then Def Jam was new and edgy, you know, it was like hip hop, something that our parents weren't laughing at. It was it was comedy for, for our age group and generation, which is different than the Caribbean comedians I talked about before. Yeah, um, we talk, you know, um, there's the, the comedian nowadays, uh, Major Hype, who, uh, you know, is very good, very talented. But I, I could say as an African-American, um, there's parts, a lot of parts of what he says, I have no kind of reference point or understanding and can't even understand the words that he's saying at times. <laughs> he's brilliant. So, oh, he yeah, brilliant. I, like uh, I dated a girl who was Caribbean and we'd be watching it because she, she'd love to watch his stuff. We'd be watching it together and she's just dying laughing and I'm just sitting there like, what did he just say? Yeah, right. I was like, I need subtitles. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. You know, there's another uh, another Caribbean that I really, another um, comedian who is not, I don't believe he's Caribbean, but he talks about Caribbean culture, who I love is uh, Mike Yard. Mm. You know, so Mike Yard does stuff like um, 9-11 when the plane was hijacked. What if the hijackers were Jamaican? <laughs> or experiences going into a Jamaican restaurant and having to order food and not even understanding what that whole thing is about. But it's still funny to us because we can see our own culture through the lens of an American person who is not steeped in it, but he can he can see it. You know, he can mm-hmm. present it to us in a way that as Caribbean people we can't even do for ourselves. But yeah, major hype, he's he's incredible. And I yeah, Mike Yard I also recommend for that for that content. So you said um, getting into comedy was like a midlife crisis type deal. Um, kind of yeah. go more into that. How did you become? Uh, uh, how did you become Enoji, uh, the comedian? Well, uh, it's a it's a it's a weird story. It's a weird story and a funny story at the same time. I mean, I, I'll preface that by saying that I've always had friends who were trying to encourage me to get into comedy. I never took them seriously. Um, about it, you know, because I think that's just something people say, like, you're so funny, you should get into comedy. But there really isn't a sense of how do you do that? Like, am I just going to walk into, like, there's there's no resources where you can just walk in, like, I'm just going to walk in the front door at the Apollo and just start talking to people, right? And these kinds of conversations we have, are they're not, they're not scripted. It's not like I'm doing a set. It's I'm sitting around having drinks with my friends and we're all joking and we're all laughing. So to me, it always seems strange to pinpoint this one person and say, you, you should get into comedy because I'm like, aren't we all here laughing together? We're feeding off of one another's jokes, right? Like your friends and your circle, that's really the the real material. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened was um, my, uh, my mother passed away mm-hmm. and it was it was very sudden and um so it was it, it was not my first experience with death you know like death is a big part of of our culture of our culture as well i've been to any number of funerals or whatever but it's different when you have to plan a funeral for your own mother right so the the day of the funeral like i had i'm extremely nerdy i had organized every aspect i like things to happen the way that they're supposed to happen um, and then I remember I was ironing my clothes to get ready to go to the funeral home so that the car could take us to the church where we were going to have the funeral. And the person who I had selected to give the sermon at the church in my mother's honor called and she was like, yeah, you know what? I can't do this. I'm just not even going to make it this morning. Sorry. Sorry, I can't. And I was like, what are you talking about? The funeral is in two hours. You can't call me two hours before the right. funeral make it she's like that ah, sorry wow and that was that so i was like okay okay let's just go with this right so i uh i told my sister and we had to look at our options and i said i'm gonna do it because the other option is you could go to this church and have this you know pastor who it's not my mother's pastor he doesn't know my mother you know like you did have the garden variety pastor right. that church that you're renting i don't want to ask him to talk about my mom he doesn't know my mom my mom would not like that right that, it just cannot happen so i'm gonna do it so i we got to the the funeral home and in the car i was like writing on scraps of paper like just writing what 
all of the main points, you know, like an essay, like the hamburger version of the essay, you know, list all your main points and then fill out your points and then get some Bible verses to back it up. You know, I had a friend at the church, I got out of the car and she said, is there anything I can do to help? I'm like, look up these Bible verses. So I wrote the sermon and um, then when the uh, they asked the person to come up who was supposed to deliver the sermon, I went up um, and my sister came with me to make sure that I didn't say anything that she was going to have to hit me in the back of the head for. And I gave the sermon. And I just, I don't remember, but I've been, because I think I've really just blacked out that whole thing just because of the extreme emotion, emotional turmoil. Nice. But I heard that, uh, that people were laughing a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of people afterwards coming up and say, you know, that was great you know you really got to get into get into stand-up you know that was that was amazing like i've never heard anything like that to this day i still have no idea what uh what happened my sister has the video she says she watches it from time to time to see how um to just to to relive it i haven't watched it yet it's been five years i have not i can imagine yeah again but i i what after that so that was that was June, right? So that was June of 2015. And after that, I had a friend who's in comedy. Um, his name is uh, Marquise. Marquise in, uh, in comedy. He said, I'm putting together this comedy show. You should come and do my show. And I thought it certainly couldn't have been any harder than what I just did up there. Like if, you, if, I, could, if I could make something happen at my mother's funeral, surely I must be able to do this. But I, I wasn't confident because after I agreed, like, yes, I'm going to do it, he gave me the date, and the date was my mother's birthday. Wow. Same year. Wow. So this is her first birthday of the year that she had died, right? So her first post, you know, her first ancestral birthday, right? I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that because I imagine I'm going to be like a hot mess somewhere. I imagine that's going to be, I, I don't think I'm going to be in the headspace. And he was like, really? You've got to come out and do this. You gotta, you gotta push past it. You gotta, it trust. He was like, trust me. So, uh, of course, the day came. I was a hot mess. I didn't prepare anything. I didn't write anything. I didn't deal with anything. But I did go to the show. So, he uh, he called me up, and uh, you know, and I saw I'd seen a couple of acts go before, and it, and and I think it also helps to say that some of the acts that went before were not that good. Mm. I hope none of them now. They were not that good. And I thought, I must be able to do better than this. Like, I can do better than this without, like, just sitting around with friends. So I'm just going to go up there and I'm going to wing it. I got up there and I thought, I don't even know what to say. I'm just going to talk about how I feel. So I started talking about my mother. And I started talking about what it was like to plan her funeral. And all of the things that were so ridiculous about planning a funeral. I don't know if anybody else knows this, but planning a funeral is, it's like ridiculous, it's right? Like, well, you know, all the things like um, the caskets, you know, the caskets have these beautiful names and the people talk to you like you're an idiot. Like, look at this wonderful velvet interior. Don't you think your mother would be so comfortable in this? Meanwhile, everybody grieves differently. My grief is like rage. I was pissed as hell. Like. You idiots! My mother is dead. Do you really think I give about right. this? They, and they you know, try like, to they try to bully you and guilt you, like if you yeah. don't buy the really really expensive thing, you're really selling your family member short or something like that. Yeah. I'm telling you, and a Caribbean mom really would care something about that. Like I could legitimately hear my mom thinking, you know, my mom's voice in my hair saying, "What? You're just gonna get me the cedar comfort? So and so's got mahogany <laughs> short hair, kid. You know what are you not doing? You know so." I was really mad about that. I was mad about when you have to go to pick a plot and they're like, look at this wonderful view between these two trees. I'm like, she's dead. She's dead. <laughs> like, just let's just stop the foolishness. You know, so I'm up there telling the people all this stuff. I'm pouring my heart out and people are laughing. Like they're laughing, they're crying, they're laughing and they're laughing. And I'm looking at them like, I don't understand you people. All y'all are crazy. Like I'm here trying to, like, I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm trying to unload my my feelings. And they were just eating it up. I'm like, okay, these people are psychopaths. But I guess if this is what it is to do comedy, then this is what it is to do comedy. And that has been my approach. Except now when I do comedy, I'm prepared 
you know, like I'm prepared with what I am that I'm going to talk about. But it really just makes you see that comedy is a great outlet just for you to talk about life with people that can relate. You know, I've always had people come up to me after a show and say, you know, I really felt what you were what you were talking about. You know, I talk about my kids. I talk about my car. I talk about my husband. I talk about my friends. I talk about whatever. And people relate to it. So I guess that's my journey. Oh, yeah, so then you've never been a single woman and a comedian, so you've always been married while you've been a comedian. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you've always come at it from that point of view. That's interesting. Uh, what do you mean from that point of view? It's just I come at it from a married woman's point of view. Right, you know right. Besides just your relationship. Right. Well, I mean, that's true, but most of us, though, a lot of our materials based on our current you know, situation. I mean, obviously we talk about our youth and stuff like that. So, so, uh, that, you know, it is, it, it is kind of interesting, but no, it, of course you're not just your relationship, but it's, it is a huge part of all of us, right? Whoever we're involved it's with. True, but I mean, I'm married. Like I often say I'm married. I'm not dead. So it's not like I don't have a current situation. Trust me in 20 years, there's always a current situation. Like marriage probably serves up a lot more material than even being single because I can talk about my marriage and the things that happen, but I can also talk about my single friends and what they tell me, you know, like, hey, you know, what's the difference between a dick pic that you get from a date and a dick pic that you get from your husband, especially when you've been married for 20 years? It's like, what are you really surprising me with here, dude? Like, I <laughs> I want to, right? So, yeah, I mean, married or single, you know, young, old, there's always something to talk about. God, I just realized my kids are listening to this outside. I'm gonna have to pay extra money for therapy now. I'm in here with their mom, and I'm talking about dick pics. Like this is not cool. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. That's funny. Um, okay, so so you, let's talk about uh, where you buying your your um, content from or your uh, material. Um, last night we were just we were talking about uh, we had a musician on uh, from the Toronto area, and we talked about how you know even as a musician how you can have shared experiences with other people and then use that in your art. And then that could cause conflict, right? So if you bring up something with your husband or your kids or a homie or something like that, that could cause conflict within those relationships. Is that something that you worry about or think about, or you just do your thing? Uh, I do think about it. Right. And, and I, I, I think about it from a place of, uh, of privacy, mostly like I can make jokes about my all day. If nobody knows who they are, that's fine. Um, I do a lot of material about my kids, but it's not like I use my kids' names and I give any identifying details. And then also, I, before this online thing, anything I wanted to say about my kids, I was saying at a show, so they didn't know, right? right? Now when I have to do things at home, there's always a chance that one of them is listening on a device in the other room, so I got to dial it back a little bit, you know? But um, yeah, I try to be I try to be cognizant of that because yeah, there's there is a there is a lot of material to be uh, to be gleaned from these relationships. I'll tell you a funny story though. Um, I was telling this um, story this this bit for at least a year where I was saying about a friend of mine who told me that a guy sent her a a pic mm-hmm. after a date, right? So they went on a date. They had a great date and. Um, and when she was, they said goodnight, they were probably going to see each other again. And she said, as he was, she was walking to her car, he sent her this pic. <laughs> and she was like, I didn't even get to my car. And no, I was totally intrigued, right? I was very curious because I was like, okay, this is new, right? To me, this whole con- culture of like, was it like a gold star on a good date? You know, like, did he send it to you because you were good? Like, here's your reward. Like, here's this picture of my stuff that I'm sending you. And at the same time, I wondered, did he just keep one on his phone? Like, that's a question that I'd like answered. Like, do guys just keep it on their phone and then send it at will? Or do they take a fresh one? Because I feel personally like I'd have to have a fresh one. Like, I don't want to stale. You want to see the sidewalk. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, like the shoes that you're wearing today, right? Like, you can't pick that you took last week and sent to some different girl. Like, I want a fresh pick, you know? So I was going around with that story. Now, so I had attributed this story to um, to another comedian friend of uh, of mine, uh, who Lady Day. Lady Day's out there somewhere. I had always said, "Oh yeah, you know that was that was Lady Day." She said to me like a couple months ago. She was like, "Why are you saying that's me?" 
that wasn't me. I was like, wait, you didn't tell me that? She's like, no, that never happened to me. I was like, oh, damn. <sighs> here I am here. Like, I don't even know. I'm here picking up stories left and right. I don't even know whose stories I'm out here telling. But Well, you know what, guys? Instead of having, like, the Coke bottle next to it, have, like, today's newspaper so she'll know that it's a fresh pick. So yes. <laughs> put the date. Have to send it up, right, right. right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, personally, I think guys should be a little bit more discriminating, though. Like, you can't just, you just can't send a pic to everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like the 90s, you know, girls would give a guy their um, their lingerie pic, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and he put it in a photo album, like, this is how old I am, you know, photo albums. And I, I have, like I said, I hang out with a lot of guy friends, and I've spent so much time just flipping through photo albums, pages and pages of girls in their drawers trying to look sexy, Obviously, they didn't think that I was going to be the one to see it. Uh, <laughs> now that the relationship was over, here I am. Right. You know, these girls in the quad at school, I'm like, hey, I like that pink thong you had on. It was nice. Yeah, and I, I feel like as a guy, if a woman sends you a picture like that, you keep it to yourself. You know, that's something between you and her, you know, and have, you know, have some sort of redundant thing, redundancy where if, God forbid, something happens to you, it gets automatically deleted. So uh, she knows that she's good in doing that. So I, I feel, yeah. you know, but I don't, you know what though? I don't feel like women should have to uh, do that though. I, f- I feel like, uh, I think women share it with the world. If he's going to send it to you, why not? So, so that's your, uh, that's your double sexy standard. disclaimer. Yeah. That's right? my, that's my double standard. I'll, I'll let yeah, you guys win good. on the double standard on that one. But, that uh, is what you <laughs> So, um, do you remember the first time you went on um, as far as your emotions, how you felt? Uh, and also, how how did you feel about how strong your material was when you went up? You mean like the first time that I did it on purpose? Or that yeah, on first purpose. Time? On purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my first time that I did um, like a real show on purpose, which does not include like, you know, the open mics that you go to to check out, you know, check out material and just try it. You know, um, the first big show, I felt really good. Um, I felt really good about my material. That was a show that um, a, a woman who was in the used to be in the spoken word game with me back in the day, uh, Amani Wood. She's a filmmaker and uh, and a comedian and a poet. She's like, you know multifaceted she'd be someone fascinating to talk to um she had a show called black like she mm-hmm. and it was her time putting this show together so she called it black like she 2.0 and uh she gave me what she called like a starting spot like to just come in and and try it out you know you get you know three to five minutes you know just a little tiny starting spot and i felt good about the material that i wrote and i would say like I, I nailed it. I definitely nailed it. And probably for a few good reasons. One of which I think was the rapport that I had already built up with the crowd because the, the spot was so over full, like it was over full almost to capacity that they had to have somebody go and turn away people from the door that couldn't get tickets and couldn't get in. Mm. So I'll do that. I love that kind of thing, right? Because I don't care. I like to to get out there, yell, and talk to people. So I was out in the line saying to people like, hey, you know, sorry, you can't get in. You know, while the people that were waiting to get in, I'm saying anybody who's beyond this line, you're not going to get in. And I was making jokes with them about why, you know, because I wanted them to leave in a good mood. Mm -hmm. So the people that had come inside had already seen me out in the line. I was wearing a red top hat and was just out there acting a real fool. So by the time I got on stage, they already had a good sense of who I was, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a brand new comedian who has not performed for this crowd before and I get up on stage and I get this rousing cheer you know and I just felt so so good and connected I felt like they were open they wanted to hear like they'd already seen what I could do in the line they wanted to be like well what's she going to do on stage it was like a surprise for them like they didn't know I was even going to be there like they thought maybe I was just the security guard in the top hat right <laughs> so so it went it went really well the crowd the crowd was very receptive and it also taught me about being prepared, you know, because, you know, people want to say after that, you know, well, where am I going to see you next? You know, and what's your uh, what's your Instagram handle? Where can I find you on Snapchat? And, you know, you got to have an answer to those questions right. before an answer for some of them. But 
the question of, um, before I could really get a, a running start, the question of where am I going to see you next has always been one that's plagued me, right? Right. Um, I remember my, my next really big show, like my, my hugest show that I had done thus far, um, I opened up for Gina Yashari. Yashari. Mm-hmm. And after the show, you know, we were all backstage, me and the other comedians that had opened for her, and they were all talking like, Oh, well, where are you going to be next? So I'm going to be at the um, the Women of Color Comedy Festival. I'm going to New Orleans. I'm going to be in L.A. You know, NOJ, where are you performing? That? I'm like performing that. I'm going home to make lunch for my kids. Okay, like that's what, that's all I have on the agenda is making lunch and I'm driving my kids to school tomorrow. Like I don't even have an answer for that question of what next, you know? So I, I think that's kind of where I find myself now is like, when they ask me what's next, I'm going to have to have an answer, and I can't wait for somebody to offer me what's next. I've got to make what's next for my damn self. I love that. I love it. you got to make your own opportunities, especially now. that We're in that time where you don't have to wait for the green light. You are the green light. So That's right. I love, I love it. I love it. I know some people hate it. The people that are the gatekeepers, they don't necessarily like it. But um, it's like publishing, too, right? It's like before you had to get a somebody to publish your books now you can publish your own book and get it out there to the masses same thing with uh this creative arts so i want to take a real quick moment to give a shout out to everybody that's listening we'll start with facebook first uh we have d uh carrie uh mary uh is also there as well as let me scroll up uh august uh sam and marilyn um and in our get vocal chat we have uh um, I'll start from the bottom and work my way up. We have Ebony Empress herself, Sandra. Uh, we have uh, a guest. Uh, we don't know who that is. We have, of course, Natasha, Lady Day, uh, Maya, Luke, Stephanie. Uh, we have, I believe that's Laurier. Um, we have Lala, and we have Wayne and Danny Redwine. We have three comedians in the audience, uh, Danny Redwine, Wayne, and, of course, Lady Day. Thank you guys so much for being here. And we will open up the seats if anybody wants to come in and um, ask some questions. Uh, uh, but before I do that, I want to talk about... Um, uh-oh. Uh-oh, we, we uh, lost her for a second. Uh, so while we're waiting for her to come back... Uh, I just want to let you guys know on Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern, we'll be joined by Carlos Phoenix. So we're going to be talking about uh, different things when it comes to technology and stuff and talking about him and all of that. It should be a lot of fun. So I won't be on tomorrow night, uh, at least that I know. Uh, Next Monday, we're going to have our on Men and Women Talk to Mars Venus show. We are going to be having a, uh, a part two of the show that we did two days ago about black men and vulnerability. So that should be a lot of fun. And then we're going to have a special Mars Venus the following day on Tuesday. And that show is going to be uh, a poetry night. So we'll have some poets that are scheduled to come up and do some poems. And we also are asked, it's going to be an open mic as well. So if you guys have any poetry that you've done yourself or that you want to just read because it means a lot to you, you can come on so and share with us. So that should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I've been wanting to do that for a while. I'm, I'm sorry, not Tuesday. It's going to be Thursday. I know it, it says on the um, StreamYard uh, promo that is uh, next Tuesday, but it's going to be Thursday. I can't change it until tomorrow because it's a seven-day run-up. So th- those are uh, that's not tomorrow, but next week. The the poetry. So if any of you guys uh, do poetry, please let me know. Uh, we're waiting for our guests to come back. I, I guess there's some kind of technical difficulties. So um, I wanted to get that kind of business out the way. Um, I see, uh, well, Wayne, I know you were trying to come in earlier. So if you want to come in now, uh, please do. And uh, on one of the bottom, uh, seats. And so, uh, there's something going on technically with our guests that we hope to get her back on. So, uh, it was loud where I'm at. Oh, Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So, um, also, uh, let's see. 
Who we have in the chat? Uh, Lady Day. Um, I know that every Tuesday you do a, a live stream as well. You do it on Get Vocal as well as Instagram. So uh, if you can, put in the chat room about your show so I can make sure that everybody knows about it. That'll be awesome for you to do that. And uh, and Sandra, I don't know, are you get, have you gotten back into podcasting yet? If not, you got to let me know so I know you're back. And welcome back. You can see now I'm back on the phone, right? This is what I think I'm literally living in full house. Like the kids probably started watching Barney or something out there. And then it's like, hey, what happened to my Internet connection? Too many people in the house. <laughs> yeah, you said you got a full house. All right. So full house. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Natasha's program is Tuesdays at. Oh, it doesn't have the time, Natasha. I think it's 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Eastern, if I'm right. I probably should have just waited for her to put it in there. Is that an 8? Yeah. 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. So definitely check her out. on. It's on Instagram, your Instagram. and uh, Put your Instagram in the chat as well. All right. So um, I wanted to uh, talk about, uh, you know, COVID has happened and we have to rethink how we put out our content and you've been doing this. This is how I came to know you. Um, you've been doing online comedy shows. Talk about that where you got the idea and, you know, some of the, the, the positives and maybe some of the negatives of doing it online. Well, I think I got into the online comedy part of it um, because I was already in the middle of organizing a live show. So um, if I had not already been organizing the show, I probably would have taken some time to say, huh, I wonder how long this is going to last. Maybe I should wait and see if we're going to get on the other side of it. Because I know a lot of comedians did do that. Like they did say, oh, it's only going to last till the end of April, maybe till the end of May. Let's just wait. But I had a show booked already at a live, uh, at a live venue in April. So I already had the listing up on uh, on Eventbrite. Promotions had already started. Tickets were already, you know, being considered by people. They they had they weren't being bought because the ticket sales had not gone live yet, but the promotions were definitely out. So I was in a place where I was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to have to cancel the show, which I don't like to do because I believe that the credibility of your brand is really really important and I wanted to position this brand as one that will push through and come up with a new and innovative idea. The problem was I didn't know what the new and innovative idea was. You mm. know, at the time I was thinking, okay, we're going to do it on video. Maybe we can have all the comedians go to the restaurant and the restaurant will be empty and we'll just film each comedian doing their set. Kind of mm. like, you know, what sports arenas were doing. But then by the time we got to that idea, they had closed all the restaurants. Mm. Like You couldn't do it. Right. So we're like, oh, what are we going to do? So my husband um, suggested a really, you know, prominent podcaster in our community who we know well, but I hadn't worked with before. And that is Dr. Vibe. He said, if you need to know anything about anything, Dr. Vibe is the one to ask. So we had a, we had a meeting shortly before the like all in all shutdown. So we weren't all in all shutdown here. You could still have like one person come over to your house while we're waiting for the government to tell us what we were we weren't we weren't allowed to do so he came over in the nick of time and he said you could do it online you know you can i'm like but how are we going to do that we can't get together he said you can use zoom what is zoom i've never heard of it like he knew everything so he offered to help us with the technical aspects if i could get the comedians together i said the comedians are already together i just got to convince them that this is something that uh, that we can do so we changed all of our promotions we used everything everything was the same the flyer or whatever but we did things like figurating because of course it was you know and you know we even continued to have tickets but this time we made free tickets but we still continued to expect people to get tickets we did a limited run of tickets to build up the sense of um of vip if you will like it wasn't just going to be open 
to everybody. There was only a certain amount of free tickets and everybody after that would have to pay and they did. Um, we had local businesses that sponsored the show so that we could mention them online, which was great and really worked to their advantage because I came to learn how, you know, video meant that their mention that their spot would be online a lot longer than it would have been if they had, if I just said their name at a regular live show. Oh, you know, so there were a lot of things that I could build into the, um, into the experience that really worked. The first show went okay. It was, it was weird because, you know, there really is a sense of working from the crowd. Like I described with my first time building that rapport with the crowd and having them, you know, shout when they see you, laugh when you say something. We couldn't have any of that. Um, but we did our best and we went with the feedback that we got. Uh-oh. Technical difficulties. I want to say hi to Mary Umadisaw, who just came in. Uh, having some technical difficulties, uh, please uh, bear with us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but uh, like I said, I want to thank everybody who's come through to check out our show. Uh, our guests will be back momentarily. Um, also, you know, remember, we'll, uh, we do have a show on Friday, not Thursday. All right, so our guest is coming back. I was trying to find a stronger signal. Uh, it's okay. All right. Yep. Can I use this spot for a minute, please? Because I'm trying to talk to these people and I need to be next to the modem. So if you don't mind, and thank you. Love these people. They're so accommodating. They're up here playing, I don't know what, Call of Duty or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> um, but mm -hmm. I'm on the modem. So here I am. All right. Yeah, so as I was saying, it, um, it was much better in the May show. And now we've taken a break for June so that we can try to figure out what we can, what we can do next, what's going to change. We're taking some time to reflect and to take a break. All right, okay. So, um, yeah, because the, the last show was really cool. And uh, uh, both Lady Day and Danny was on that on that show and they of course they did a fabulous job as Daddy well as, yeah and as well as yourself you did a, a brilliant job as well and you guys have a dj as well which is really cool he's a great dj um uh your dj, yeah, DJ mikey wisdom yeah so mikey mikey wisdom. Wisdom. we went to i went to university with mikey wisdom and I, I think that's some advice that i would give to anybody who's getting into any business is draw on your resources and share the opportunities with your friends you know mikey wisdom went from spinning the jams that we used to go to at university to being the wedding dj when uh when i got married to my husband 20 years ago to now playing at my comedy shows you know i, I know a lot of good djs and he's one of the best so when an opportunity can present itself i uh, i like to keep it within my circle that's nice i love it you know um it's funny uh it's it's just like it's so great to see. I mean, it, I want people to really get an understanding of how g great you guys' show was because uh, the the crowd was great. Uh, it was a, a nice vibe to it, a very festive vibe, and um, I just really enjoyed myself. And and you know, um, this is a good time. You know, I mean, it's always a good time to share a laugh, but you know, especially now, you know, when any time that you can laugh and have a good time it's 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 really positive so i i really uh, appreciate what you guys are doing so it's pretty cool so um so here's the here's the question uh uh so what's next well um you know i think i, I hope you can hear me mm -hmm. okay because you know now these people are like rinsing pasta and mm -hmm watching they're, they're watching full house you know that's what they're doing they're rinsing past and watching full house over there um what i i'm finding now is that it's it's a time when i now have the time to become more or 
serious about what it is that I'm really offering, not just as a comedian, but also as a brand, you know, like, uh, but is she funny? The, the, the main, main goal of But Is She Funny stage to provide a voice individual, you know, like as an individual, But Is She Funny project to support um, any, you know, especially black female comedians that we want to get a voice out there, you know, like Def Jam, you might know Def Jam, but it wasn't just about Russell Simmons, right? He just came up at the end. Right. So I think I'm trying to prepare long-term to be the to be the Russell Simmons of this operation. So during June um, and, you know, maybe in the, a little bit more in the summer, this is the time I'm taking to do more work on my website. Uh, like I said, I, I had the time to develop a logo so that I can um, I can have a stronger brand. We we've got merch, you know, we're, we've got uh, we've got mugs and tank tops and other kinds of fun stuff for our uh, for for people. We've always had shirts, but um, now I've had to think about how am I going to distribute this stuff. When people ask me where they can get my stuff, usually I will say, "Hey, come to my next show." You know, like my outlook on it was very local, but. The online show opportunity has really exposed myself and uh, the other comedians to more of a more of a global audience. Like I wouldn't be talking with you right now if I was still just doing, hey, come to my local shows. So I have to be prepared to meet that that opportunity. So I think that is what that's what's next for me. I had a great conversation with somebody today about, you know, building on the e-commerce part of my um, the e-commerce side of my of my website, things like that, like real juicy nerd stuff. So, the the nerdy administrative side of things is going to be what I'm focusing on next. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, so, how can people get you in social media and your website and all that stuff? What's your uh, social media? Okay. Well, I, I don't do Snapchat because I'm old school. Like I'm not just old, old school. I'm also old. School. So, <laughs> um, I don't do TikTok, but you can uh, you can or fishfunny.com. Either one of those will work. Uh, at fishfunny, I'm probably backwards, but yeah. these are all of the ways in which I can be reached. All right, all right, and I'll put it in the chat room. Because uh, you, you did break up a little bit. Uh, it was um, bishfunny.com, and your Instagram is funnybishbishes? What is it? Bishness. Bishness. My yeah. bad. Funny bishness. I have it in the chat, yeah. and I have it in the, uh, the show notes as well. So if you are hearing this on the download, you can actually, um, it'll have it in the uh, description. And of course, you can get me at Kente F on Twitter, Kente Ferguson on Instagram. And of course, the uh, website is IndieRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. And just to say it again, we'll be back on Friday with uh, our interview with Carlos Phoenix. Thank you so much for coming on the program. And I'm looking forward to what you have in the future. Thanks for having me. This is really, uh, this has really been exciting. You know, it's great to meet new people and it's great to it's great to finally put a face to the legendary name that is Kinte. So I'm glad that I had this chance. Thank All right. you. Thank you.